Welcome to the Community Development Podcast. A podcast dedicated to community development practice and approaches, sharing our learning and connecting the workforce. My name is Russell. episode 21 and uh, welcome from Dunfermling in Scotland to Pippa Coots. Welcome to the podcast Pippa. Thank you, nice to be here virtually. <laughs> yes, yeah, the best we can manage, the budget doesn't stretch to getting you down to Cardiff for me up to Dunfermline. Um, you're the Policy and Development Manager at the Carnegie UK Trust based in Dunfermline. What are we going to be talking about? We're going to be talking about place of towns in UK policy mm. and we're going to talk about flourishing towns, uh, particularly about a report which the Trust has just launched called Turnaround Towns UK. The Trust is interested in promoting well-being across the UK and we think that towns are a vital part of the UK's well-being. And how do you define a town in this context, first of all? Well, that, how you define a town is really interesting. And there's some work we've done previously, a colleague of mine, Lauren's done previously, looking at how you define towns. Towns. And of course, with uh, devolution in the UK, each of the governments define towns slightly differently. Uh, historically, I suppose it's been defined a lot on population size and perhaps on towns' proximity to a city or its proximity to rural. So we're a bit kind of thinking, we're thinking about that. We're thinking, oh, how, how do you define towns in a way which you can compare across the UK? Uh, so last year, we did a survey across the UK, including Ireland as well. And that was with a thousand respondents in each of the jurisdictions and in Ireland with Ipsos Mori. And we asked people to self-define where they lived. And through that, we found that two in five people live in a town. That's a lot of people, which is one of the reasons that we're so interested in towns, because I think it's a geographic area which is often forgotten about by policy. But yet there's a lot of people who think they live in a town, who do live in a town. I encountered this, and if I'm honest, I, I it began to challenge some of my thinking about two years ago in a previous job that I had and there'd been the the publication of a report around looking at international evidence wasn't it and there was there were towns across across the world there was the United States New Zealand Germany from from, from memory that Carnegie had published and I was helping to uh, facilitate some of the the dissemination of that of that learning of that evidence base in in Wales and it got me thinking about well what is a town and what isn't a town and maybe people in the same town having different perceptions perhaps that's right. Many people in the same time do have different perceptions. Yeah. That's right. I mean, there's places like the central towns in England who are, they have some data measures there and they, they uh, define towns according to population size. But I think it is really interesting to think about, for us, we're working across the UK. So that's, that's where the challenge comes, coming up with a comparable definition is not easy and internationally as well. Okay. So, as I said, there was that report in 2016 and some of the work in Wales in 2017. Why are you doing another report? Well, as I said, you know, we're about promoting well-being and well-being for Carnegie, societal, community well-being, as well as individual well-being. So for us, we think well-being should be the purpose of governments. That's all governments, whether it's the UK government, traditional governments, local governments. For us, societal well-being is living well together. And the OECD... They monitor, understand and monitor societal well-being and regional well-being, looking at four domains. So the social domain, democratic domain, the environmental domain, and the economic domain. 
And we're really interested in looking at well-being at the community level. And that's one of the reasons we're really interested in towns, because towns are a geographic, spatial representation of community. And if you look at policy, policy in the UK, there isn't much policy around towns. We were really worried about five years ago, towns were missing out on the sorts of policy for cities. If you look at England, there's something like what, 23, 26 city regions. There isn't that focus on towns. So that's one of the reasons we're really interested in towns, because up to now, they've really not been talked about much at policy level. So which towns do we visit then in this new report? One of the other reasons that we're interested in doing this report, as you say, it builds on some work we did internationally, we did turn around towns, international evidence. And ever since then, we've been asked, can you do one for the UK? Can you do one for the UK? And we've heard of lots of different positive examples of turnaround towns. But perhaps I should explain by what I mean by that. Uh, we mean towns which are on a journey, towns which have probably had a look at themselves and said, we want to make some changes here. And they started on that journey towards making change, which is why we really wanted to gather those together in one place and why we've ended up with the Turnaround Towns UK report. We thought that was particularly important because often towns are slated, is the right word in the press? There's bad news stories about towns, the death of the high street, towns that have been, towns of places that, you know, post-industrial. Mm. We wanted to present some positive stories, and that's really how we put together this report and how we chose the towns in the report. Yes, yeah, so it's not just post-industrial either, is it? It's that sort of faded, sort of Victorian grandeur that some of the coastal towns used to have as well. It is a, it is a recurring trope, isn't it? Yeah, it's the idea that, you know, towns are defined by their past, whereas mm, actually yeah, yeah. that idea is a bit insidious because it may lead readers of these articles or policymakers to think, well, actually, we don't need to think about towns because, you know, there's something about us which is not the case. As I said, a significant portion of our population lives in towns and they do so because they want to, because they bring benefits, uh, whether it's a connection to their history, to their families, whether it's a better standard of life, whether it's, you know, nice and green space, etc., more community. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think it's interesting that you use the word journey because it clearly denotes that there is something is still happening. This isn't uh, that, you know, the town's, uh, the work there hasn't finished. It is not complete. There is still more to do. But presumably as well, those journeys will start at different points. They will start because of different motives, different protagonists leaders and all those sorts of things there's probably quite a degree of variety within those across those journeys yes absolutely and one of the reasons we've talked about journeys in the report is a practical pragmatic reason you'll see in the front of the report that we have found difficulty finding hard data about towns so in the sense of towns well-being or outcomes at a towns level so it's quite difficult to make a qualitative assessment of where a town was and where it is now because the data is not there and you talk to other stakeholders in towns policy they'd say the same thing data is lacking on towns so that's one of the reasons that we've talked about journeys because of this report it's largely a report of stories of towns and the other reason very much as you say towns like sectors of the community are changing and how your town changes can vary very much from one town to another. Mm. They, have, they do have differences between them, whether in that's in terms of their vision or in terms of their capacity or, or in terms of their geography or their economy. There seems to be in this report as well, and I, I think I can see that you know there's any number of references to the understanding of Welsh places 
data set then or, or, or initiative. And again, I can remember when that was being discussed and there was a desire to maybe you know, replicate what the understanding Scottish places um, uh, work was, was, was doing and, and revealing and again, and gen- generating some of that data that's missed. It's been informed very much around things like number of residents per charitable organisation in an area, getting down to sort of real nitty gritty things within, within communities and not defining them by town centres and solely economic drivers and, and factors related to, to, to that. So it seems quite holistic and also quite then based on, on, on strengths and assets as well. That's great you say that. Yeah, we're aiming for holistic approach. Uh, that's one of the key parts of the well-being approach is the holistic approach. Mm. I, I know from international evidence with work CD, for example, that a focus on well-being in towns and by local authorities would really help with the development of towns. A focus that we've had so far in, in the UK on GDP, uh, particularly perhaps in England and Wales, hasn't really helped towns. It's been much more of an agglomeration type economics where, you know, the idea being we'll boost the cities, for example, city deals, and that will lead to spillover effects of towns or people commute to cities, and that will lead to increasing the economy in towns. That's not really cut the mustard in terms of improving well-being of towns. So I think we now really need to focus holistically on the four domains of well-being, on the environmental, on the social, as well as on the economic. And that's what we've seen actually in these case studies is the places that we featured in these case studies have really said, well, actually, you know, we've had enough. We want to do things differently. Mm-hmm. And when communities do that, they don't just mean we want to improve our GBA. We want to become wealthier. They talk about, as you know, many other things that communities care about, the connectivity, it feels like to live in that town, place to meet the ways in which people can learn and how they can promote lifelong learning, etc. So I think it's really important to have this holistic focus, um, and that's something that we hear as well, communities, time and time again. When you ask communities what matters to you, uh, as we did in Scotland through the National Performance Framework Review, they say what matters to them is lifelong education, is fairness, is kindness. They don't necessarily talk about no, and they don't talk about GDP, do they? They they will talk about those much more sort of closer to home, those more sort of critically mundane things, libraries and and, and schools, etc. Uh, understanding Welsh places is, as you said, continuation. Or that's the wrong word. Cunning Trust has for some years been supporting the measurement of what matters, and we're interested in improving data that's available on towns. And we work with Scottish Towns Partnership on understanding Scottish places. And similarly, now we understand Welsh places. And the idea of that tool is it's easily accessible online, user-friendly. So local authorities, for example, decision makers can use it to understand the difference that's in Welsh towns. And, and in the Welsh places tool, we're particularly looking at how independent a town is. So mm-hmm. that will have various measures in it. As I think you mentioned the measures, for example, the, the number of charities, etc. You only put in there what data is currently available. Absolutely, yeah. And I think what, what struck me when I first saw the Understanding Scottish Place work was that it rejects the notion of, of league tables where someone has to come top and somebody has to come bottom inevitably. It rejects that sort of, in inverted commas, meritocracy and and looks at this notion of interdependence and actually you begin to see that actually even affluent places are dependent, um, which can sometimes be interpreted in a pejorative sense, 
on neighbouring communities because because certain things are delivered there that aren't delivered in their area. And, and for me, it was a really philosophically challenged the way you conceive of how nice, how good a place is, how deprived it is, which, you know, there's still a hangover for that language and that sort of lexicon that, that we use. That's right. I think one of the reasons we are interested in towns, as I said at the beginning, is because they're important part of our spatial geography. So they can't be left out. So we need to... We're not saying, oh, you know, towns are the expense of cities. We're saying we need to consider towns mm. as well as as well as rural. And of course, if you're somewhere like Ireland, Northern Ireland particularly, very strong connection between their towns and the rural areas. Uh, and increasing understanding that they can't see that those areas are separate from the cities. So I think that's really what we're asking for is that towns are very much included in, in the round. And we need to think about how we work as a spatial geography which includes towns but is local enough for decision makers to be able to decisions that make sense to local communities and towns yeah you saved me a job because on my to-do list has been to find out a little bit more about the wigan deal in wigan in uh, northwest england and wigan's one of the towns um, one of the nine towns selected you talk about communities asking them what matters to what extent are communities part of each of these towns stories in a critical way, in a meaningful way? Or is there, posing the, the sort of question from a devil's advocate perspective, is there some tokenism on the part of you know, the usual suspects, the usual protagonists in bringing the community in a little bit of a later date? Or are they having a bit more of a defining, critical, meaningful you know, role? Well, in the Turnaround Towns UK report, we've highlighted nine towns, and I'm sure we could have highlighted many more. So anybody's listening and they know more, let, let us know. We've got Cardigan, we've got Dumfries, we've got Grimsby, we've got Morecambe, Portrush, Todmorden, Totnes, West Kilbride and Wigan. So we tried to have towns in all parts of the UK. And you mentioned Wigan there. Wigan has been highlighted through some strong evaluation work by King's Fund. Most of the areas that we highlighted are small. So they're somewhere around the sort of 4,000 to 10,000 population mark. And in those places, the community has been leading the change, really. They've been leading the charge. Places like Todmorden, places uh, like Morecambe, to a certain extent, places like Dumfries, Scotland, community organisations have been vital to starting this journey of development. So it may have been a couple of individuals who are leaders, or it may have been a community-based organisation that's the lead. But it has been, I would say, very much... Uh, community, community-led and community-driven. So these roles, these community organisations, there's a number of them mentioned in the report. They tend to have different, maybe, sort of titles. They might be set up in different ways. There's talk of a West Kilbride Community Initiative. There's a community development group there as well. You've got Mentor Abatavi, so Mentor is the Welsh word of enterprise, so it's much more around social enterprise. An artist-led uh, organisation called, I think it's a Stowe Visit in Dumfries. So there's quite a, a, a range, uh, and maybe they might focus, for example, then, for example, on arts in the case of the stove. Others might look more at sort of social enterprise. I mean, they may be the protagonists and some of the initiators of some of the sort of, of, of that journey, but they all seem to grow in boldness and capacity as the story unfolds in each of these towns. Is that fair? Yeah, it could be. I definitely haven't evaluated them, and the story was very much about the town's yeah. journey rather than the community organizers journey or the community organizations journey but as you say you know what's happened is three of us 
conducted these interviews, these case studies. And when we put them all together, we found that there were similarities across the case studies. And I think one of those similarities that you talked about is the important role of these community-based organisations. And as you, again, have called out, some of them are enterprise-led, some of them are arts-led. Um, so, you know, maybe had a different raison d'etre at the beginning, but they're now all playing a facilitative role in their towns and in their communities. There's a great phrase in there, which I, I like, and I'm just going to try and dig it out a moment now. And I think it's in uh, Todmorden, Incredible Edible Todmorden, yeah, I-E-T. Well, because there's also Incredible Edible Network. So Incredible Edible has spread beyond Todmorden internationally. And Incredible Edible Todmorden was started, as far as I know, by a couple of individuals. So there wasn't an organisation there. And they have very much said that they are a movement rather than an organisation. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so they aren't looking for funding. They are very much, interestingly for Carnegie, they say everything they do is about radical kindness. They're building a community around kindness. And they're doing that with various different sectors of the community, you know, working with the school, working with the markets and with traders. But they started from this idea of guerrilla gardening. What they said is, you know, everybody eats, food's a common language out there and transform our town by you know, growing and by eating together. Again, the, those critical mundane things like eating. There's a, a kind Cardiff initiative I met last week at the Eden Communities Project sort of celebration mm. event, celebration evening that they held in uh, in Cardiff um, last week. And uh, that's episode 20 of the podcast. This is 21, so the previous one. And um, again, it's just, just very, very sort of simple things, building it from the bottom up. And almost by doing it in that way is almost kind of radical in itself in the sense that it rejects some of those orthodoxies and those sort of received wisdoms, like you said, around, you know, agglomeration and growth and GDP and all that sort of stuff. So in itself, it's quite radical, but it's not radical as well at the same time, if that's not too much of a sort of a contradiction. But I loved how they, they, they talk about in Todmorden's radical community building in action and how, as you say, they, they resist external funding. And there's a really telling quote in there where it says that, they say that when the money comes in, community engagement stops. And I think anyone who's reading this, who's got a background in community work and community development will, will probably sort of cringe a little bit where they kind of go, yeah, I, I can remember an example of that. Or even perhaps I was involved in, in something like that. Yeah, I mean, Todmorden tell a great story and I'm sure some of your listeners will have heard it or you may want to have them on for the podcast uh, going forwards. But as Carnegie UK Trust, we were delighted to hear them talking about the role of kindness, because you'll know from the Kind of Cardiff Network that you know we've been promoting that, we've been promoting radical kindness for the last couple of years, because we feel from our enabling state work, we've got to a situation as a development of the public sector where we need to move away from target-driven new public management towards a much more relational public sector. And kindness is a big part of that. So it's fantastic to hear some of the case studies of towns talking about kindness without them knowing that that's something that we've been promoting through the public sector and will continue to do so. You spoke about what Carnegie UK Trust you know, wants to achieve in terms of a greater focus on towns and the focus on well-being, for example. But is there anything specifically you're hoping this report's going to uh, achieve more immediately? Well, as I said at the beginning, you know, we put it together because people kept telling us that there's about these great examples of towns and we wanted to hold those examples together and hold those examples in one place and really delighted to, to add more. Uh, and we particularly wanted to do that because, I said, sometimes negative speak about towns. So we want to really think it's vital that 
those who are interested in towns and make decisions about towns build from an asset base. I suppose very immediately we know there is such a thing as a towns fund, towns fund perspective. Depending what happens in the election, you know, that could well go forwards. That's money for 100 towns across England. And we would really like the approaches that we outlined here to be read about, known about, and used by people who are making decisions on how to spend so from a perspective of England, then it's, you know, it's quite timely then. Yeah, from the perspective of England, it's timely. Towns have got shot up the agenda. In England. I mean, not just in England, across the UK, particularly following the vote to leave the European Union, yeah. which has been described many as a vote of discontent uh, and towns largely voted to leave, whereas cities voted to remain. Yeah, no, exactly. I mean, it's, it's towns where these vox pops are going, isn't it? It's the Grimsby's, um, it's the, the Evervales, closer to home for me, and so on. So, um, yeah. In the report, we've highlighted that are on this journey, development journey. And as I said, we didn't really know if there was any commonality between those towns. There are quite a lot of commonalities. The commonalities about work, work silos to working together. And I think that's particularly important, not just in the kind of making strong partnerships within towns, the horizontal linkages, but also the vertical linkages. Mm. Probably the community leads, but the local authority is involved. It's easy to say the difference to do is very much about partnership and how we can build more effective partnerships that are bottom up as well as down in the future. Yeah, and that, that's the key, isn't it, in terms of being effective? They've got to be genuine. They've, there's got to be, if we come at this from a, a, a purer community development perspective, then there's got to be a willingness to relinquish certain aspects of power uh, on the part of for example, local authorities, but it's not exclusively them. And that's why it's nice to have a couple of examples in there of local authorities. And I heard it yesterday myself from a local, local authority, you know, local authorities saying, actually, we've got to do things differently. Yeah. We can't carry where we are. We don't have the funding. And there are a couple of examples in the report, again, of austerity being a catalyst for change. Actually, happen. I think that would make a massive difference where there was a real understanding that you know, communities have a role to play going forward, but communities are supported. Yeah. That's something we've been talking about for years. <laughs> it's difficult to achieve. It's partly with you because, as you guys know, working in community development yeah. takes time. Yeah, no, ab- ab- absolutely. And it, it, that time take goes beyond electoral cycles and it goes beyond funding rounds and, and things like that. I think the Wigan example, I think, is a, is a perfect example of of that, that partnership, but it's based not on something that's top down it, the, the council have initiated it and that's fine but it's very much based on a principle of reciprocity you know yeah, if, yeah. You know, we will do yeah. this if you can also do that yeah exactly and i think that's a key thing about the partnership building one of the reasons i think that uh, community anchors play such a strong role in these stories of change is they're trusted within the community and mm. um, obviously not all are but you know those that are play a very strong role because they're agile, they're feet of foot, they're trusted, they reach into different parts of the community. And what we're really looking for going forwards is partnerships that have a shared vision, and that vision being mutually owned by the community, so maybe through your community anchor organisation, and by the funders. Thinking about the Towns Fund, that would be the local authority if the Towns Fund comes through local authorities. But there needs to be you know, a win-win situation for both. So true co-production absolutely so how how can people keep in touch with the report you know other work that Kanigi is working on yeah please download the report from our website it's easy to find on the website turn around towns uk you'll see there the work we're doing around towns at the moment including 
talk of the town, supporting towns to tell stories about their, their themselves. Follow us on Twitter at Pippa underscore Carnegie. Lovely. Well, best luck with uh, continuing to, to publicise the work. It does deserve to be read a bit more wide. I've, I got a lot, an awful lot out of the 2016-2017 the work and was fully intending to, to get around to perusing this one as well before uh, before your colleague Billy got in touch to, to think about recording this. But uh, no, I'm grateful that he did. I've tweeted a link out. There's a link on the website accompanying the, the podcast, the MP3. And so, yeah, so go and uh, go and fill your boots. Pippa, thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you very much for the chance to talk about the report. No, you're more than welcome and, uh, and have, uh, have a lovely Christmas. Thank you. Thank you.